We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 26 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 26. Unlike Pastor Forsberg, I know my numbers, so you'll be at the right place when we get there. Had to just pick on him a little bit for that. Um, Is this for tonight's announcement? All right, we have a children's choir practice this coming Sunday after the morning service right up here. So those of you that are involved with that or have kids that will be for you there. Looking forward to Sunday. We have uh, some folks joining Sunday, and then we also have uh, baptism on Sundays. It'll be a blessing. First Samuel chapter 26. We saw last time in a cave that uh, David had a chance to kill Saul, and he didn't. Um, uh, Saul's been chasing him, has been trying to kill him, and here David had a prime opportunity to kill Saul and get away with it. Uh, nobody would really blame him, and yet he chose not to do so. After that, we didn't really go into the after effects of it, but Saul was very humbled. Uh, the Bible says he wept. Um, he told David that he was more righteous than he was, and, and he uh, said he understands that David will be king. And, and then he asks David to swear not to kill any of his seed, and so David does, uh, promises him that. And then the Bible says that Saul went home, no longer chasing David. But that was not true repentance because it did not last. Uh, In chapter 25, uh, that was chapter 24. Now in chapter 25, Saul dies. Uh, I'm sorry, Samuel. Samuel dies. And of course, all Israel grieves for him. And then David goes into the wilderness again. Now here in chapter 26, we see Saul again on the hunt. So let's start reading at verse number 1. And the Ziphites came unto Saul and Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hachilah, which is before Jeshmon. And Saul arose and went down the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hachilah, which is before Jeshmon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, and the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched around about him. Then answered David and said to Abimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zariah, the brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground by his bol- at his bolster, or that's his head. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him a second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Father, I pray you'd help us tonight as we look at this part of the passage and just to learn something, Lord, we can apply to our lives. Give you the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's uh, interesting here, this conspiracy that we see with the Ziphites, the coming to Saul. It's not surprising they would do this. They've already betrayed David before. They probably feared that if David would become king, he would take revenge on them for what they had done. So, uh, of course, they could have repented and, and made it right with David and make peace with him, but they trotted off to Saul. And there's a couple of things that is particularly despicable about the Ziphites here. 
the Ziphites were kinfolk of David. They were of the tribe of Judah. That means they came from the same tribe as David came. And uh, so I guess we would all agree it always hurts more when we are hurt by friends and family than it is when we're hurt by strangers, doesn't it? Uh, when we're attacked by those that should be good to us. It's always uh, more painful to have those turn against you that you expect to be the most loyal to you. David should have been able to find safety in his own tribe, and maybe that's why he went there in the first place, but that did not happen. The Ziphites betrayed him. It's bad enough when strangers harass us and persecute us, but when family and when friends do, it really hurts. But Now, Saul had publicly I talked about before, he had publicly stated that he is off the chase. He had told David he's no longer chasing him, and the Ziphites' action of reporting David uh, to Saul again or his whereabouts, encouraging Saul to renew his, uh, renew his chasing David to kill him. So Saul had decided to quit chasing David, but the Ziphites ignored this and encouraged Saul to return to his wicked behavior. That's the second kind of despicable thing about them. Because in every age, we have people like the Ziphites, wicked characters that are always trying to get others to sin, always goading others to do wrong. And we don't need Ziphites in our life, do we? Uh, people that are pushing us the wrong direction. In fact, that should be a big uh, deciding factor of the friends that we have in our life. Are they pushing us toward Christ or are they pulling us away from Christ? And uh, the world is full of Ziphites that'll work at getting you to do wrong or getting you to make the wrong choices. Uh, we need people who will encourage us to live holier lives. We need people in our life who will lift the standard, not lower the standard in the life for us. So uh, that's a good question for all of us. In your relationships, do you lift the standard or do you lower the standard in other people's lives? We certainly ought to always be there to lift it. So the Ziphites will allow David no rest. They're going to make life miserable for him. And the treachery here of the Ziphites kind of illustrates the persistency of evil. As we've been seeing all along, uh, what David's having to deal with is incredible. And evil doesn't give up easily. And it's why we always need to keep our guard up spiritually. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If we're not standing guard uh, for our heart, and we're allowing things through the ear gate and through the eye gate of our life, the wrong type of relationships, the wrong type of things in front. If we're allowing these things in, we're, we're kind of like computers, the whole idea of garbage in and garbage out. Uh, that's, you know, we, we cram our life full of garbage. That's what we're going to have. And so we need to keep that, uh, keep our heart with all diligence. Uh, evil doesn't give up easily. It's constantly on the attack. It's constantly we have to defend uh, the righteousness in our life and uh, fight against that. The, corp, uh, the cooperation here, verse 2. Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. So his response was to take up his wickedness again. Do exactly what he shouldn't have done. Go back on his word when he said he would not chase David anymore. Uh, have you ever noticed that wicked people don't need much encouragement to take it up again? Uh, sometimes we don't need much encouragement either to take up wrong. Uh, when it came to his duty, we see all throughout the life of Saul, he was very negligent considering his duty, but he was very diligent considering his wickedness. And if, if we as Christians put as much effort into living for God 
as unsaved people do in living for the world, we'd be in a lot better shape. Because evil is often much more diligent than righteousness. Like before, he took 3,000 choice men, the best soldiers of Israel. The enemy does not attack God's people casually. Uh, it comes with great force. That's why 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to be sober, be vigilant. As your enemy, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have to be forceful in uh, defeating evil in our lives. We have to uh, constantly be on guard, as it tells us in Proverbs. And uh, that's why we have standards in our life. That's why we preach the word from the pulpit. That's why we teach discipleship. That's why we have the kids in class right now teaching them the ways of the Bible. We want to, uh, Christians to learn how to defeat evil in their life. I like this in verse 4. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was coming in very deed. He was not aware of this conspiracy at first, but obviously he was informed of it. And it's, it's good to see that everybody wasn't against David. I'm sure a lot of people in Israel understood what was going on, and many Israelites were sympathetic to him. Uh, sometimes it seems like people are only against us. I'm trying to live a godly life. I'm like everybody's out to get us. Can you imagine David out in the wilderness and the rocks and the caves, the next chosen king of Israel, uh, living like a fugitive? Uh, not like a fugitive, he was a fugitive. He's living in this way. Uh, you ever felt like there's nobody with you, nobody standing with you, all alone? Uh, that's how David probably felt at this time. You're trying to live right and do right, and nobody's with you. But uh, blessing is that God will always uh, provide loyal friends to counter a betraying Ziphite in your life. So when there's people out to try to hurt you, then God will provide uh, loyal friends for you. And I thank God for that. By the way, you don't know how much you do when you stand or you support a beleaguered Christian who's having a lot of trials and troubles in their life. You don't know what it means uh, just to give an encouraging word. You might be literally saving them uh, from destruction. Remember Elijah? He thought, in fact, he told God, I'm the only one left. How's that? I'm the only one in the world left serving you. God said, no, no, there's 7,000 prophets that haven't bowed to Baal yet. There's other people out there. That was in 1 Kings 19. Uh, sometimes you feel alone. Sometimes you feel alone in having standards in your home or trying to live a holy life. Uh, but there are others who remain true and faithful and uh, others who try to live holy. They may be few in number, but there are choice people and God brings them into our lives. That's why I'm so thankful for a local church like ours. Uh, having people that are of like faith and of like practice that we can fellowship with, encourage one another. Uh, I love that in our deacons we have uh, that we have partners. In, I have partners in ministry with our, our deacons and, and serving together there. We see eye to eye on pretty much everything that matters. I love that our staff here is all on the same page, and uh, that's that means something. That's a good thing because uh, serving together. Um, and, and when there's conflict within the house of God, it's so much harder to, uh, to, to honor the Lord in our community. So uh, David was being attacked left and right, but God provided some folks to be a help to him, and that was a blessing. I think there's also something interesting here when he sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. So the wording there is interesting because even though David knew what kind of person Saul was. He still investigated the rumor. This is important. 
Uh, Saul had made some noble state uh, statements at the uh, cave of Engedi or um, Engedi when uh, he said he would not chase David anymore. And so here, I believe the way that this verse is worded, David will give Saul the benefit of the doubt. He hears that he's coming for him again, but he investigates it before he does anything about it. And there's a couple of things I want to point out here because it's always wise to confirm the evil of others before we just buy into any accusation. A lot of people are very quick to believe any evil they hear about anybody else. And even if the suspicion of evil is strong, we have to be certain of the facts before we accuse people. And folks have a tendency, even in the church, or maybe especially in the church, to believe anything that any dissident tells them without investigating what's said. And so it's important for us as a church body, you know, somebody says something about somebody else, which they shouldn't be anyway, but uh, you hear something, maybe you hear something about uh, that somebody said about you. It's, it's important that we investigate that before we act on it. And then secondly, uh, here David was giving his leader, uh, the king, he was giving his leader the benefit of the doubt. And uh, it's a blessing, I can't tell you, it's a blessing, Pastor Forsberg would agree, I'm sure, uh, when someone, uh, if some things are being said about the pastor, about the church, that somebody comes to me to hear me out before they just act on it. And uh, I can tell you many problems that I have had in the church and church relationships come from loose lips and believing ears. People are often ready to believe negative. What is, uh, I think, Winston Churchill, um, a lie gets halfway around the world before truth ever puts its pants on? Uh, that's a, there's a lot of truth to that statement. Uh, lies travel a lot faster than truth. And it's a wise person who will investigate the negative things they hear about others before they act on it, before they get all angry about it. Many a church problem could die out before it blows up if people simply would know the facts before they react and uh, before they uh, uh, act rashly. So this is a lesson I believe we can take from David. But let's look at the circumstances here. So David and his men, again, they're hidden in the wilderness of Ziph. There's forests, there's ravines here, there's a lot of hiding places. And always a good soldier, David decides to reconnoiter the camp of Saul. Uh, information is, of course, vital to any army. And he's not doing this, I believe, to attack Saul, as we see, because he had opportunity to do so, but to form a defensive strategy, try to just survive. So the surveying of Saul's camp took place at night. This was a logical time for doing it in the dark. And by the way, I can't pass by verse 6 without comment here. Look at what it says. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeriah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. Um, you ever been asked to volunteer for something, like maybe in a group, and you hold very still not to move because you don't want them to think maybe you're volunteering? This is one of those moments. Who will go down with me to Saul's camp? That's a dangerous proposition, isn't it? Think about what he's asking here. Let's go down and check it out. Let's go right down in the heart of the action. Let's go where we could be instantly killed. Who wants to go with me? All right, uh, let's take volunteers. We'll have a sign-up sheet in the lobby. Sign up. Who wants to go with me? Nobody ever signs those things anyway. But uh, thank God for Abishai's. Thank God for Abishai's. What a blessing when the man of God can depend on a few Abishai's in, uh, in our life. He would be a tremendous encouragement to David, 
even if he didn't do anything, just being with him, just going with him and supporting him, to have the support of a team uh, by your side. Hey, I could get killed, but I'm right there with you, David. I'll go with you. Thank God for Abishai's. I, I'm just, I was reading that and I was just, uh, I love this because teamwork is the fuel that allows common people to produce uncommon results. And uh, it's a blessing, in, again, in the local church setting, to have a unified team going forward with any endeavor. And uh, I'm grateful for that. So, verse 7. Abishai is going to go with him. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, uh, behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench. His spear stuck in the ground by his bolster, that's his head. But Abner and the people lay round about him. So when they come to the camp of Saul, they found everybody asleep. Bad military tactics. Uh, there's two things going on here. I think there's a little bit of apathy. They don't, th they're not scared of David. He's got 3,000 men, but there's also, uh, we see in, in verse 12 that the sleep was helped by God. He put a deep sleep on them. Uh, and so everybody is sleeping. And again, once again, we see a situation very conducive for assassinating Saul. David could kill Saul quickly. He could escape camp without anybody knowing who had done it or who had been there. The sleeping made it possible uh, to do that, which would be evil, but to do that in complete secrecy. And can I tell you, secrecy is always a great encouragement to evil. When, we, when nobody's looking, nobody's watching. If people think no one will see them, they're much more likely to do evil than if they think people are watching them. That's why the measure of a man's character is what he would do when no one is watching. That's your true character. That's who you really are. And some uh, become, of course, very hardened, and they'll do evil. With, they don't care who sees them. Of course, that's a whole other group. But uh, a lot of people um, are quicker to do wrong when they think nobody sees them. But, as we got to remember, no sin is secret from God. Shall he that made the ear not hear? Shall he that formed the eye not see? He sees and hears everything. The truly spiritual person is careful about his conduct in secret as he is in public. And uh, we need to be very careful. You, you look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those religious hypocrites. That's what Jesus and John the Baptist called them repeatedly. They were hypocrites because they didn't care about the private. They only cared about the public. But real godly people will care about their private character as much as their public character. Let's look at the temptation here. Verse 8. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him. I pray thee with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. David was encouraged to kill Saul by one of his most trusted followers here. Now if some bum encourage you to do wrong, it's not that tempting, but when somebody that's close to you that you trust, the temptation has a little more power. And here's Abishai, a man of great loyalty, encouraging David to do this. And Abishai, of course, carried a lot of weight with David. This would have made the temptation to kill Saul even greater. And we talked last time about how the devil loves to use respectable sources to encourage evil. You ever notice that? That's the biggest temptation in our life. Often comes from respectable sources. He uses athletes and models to advertise liquor. He uses respected college professors to encourage alternate lifestyles. He uses esteemed preachers, even, or so-called preachers today, to lower God's standards for living. And does all that, uses respectable sources. But look what he says, God hath delivered thine enemy to thine hand this day. 
He again tries to make the killing of Saul appear to be ordered by God because of the circumstances. As, as careful, we've we, we got to look at that carefully because a lot of times we think just because it's convenient to do wrong doesn't mean it's right to do wrong. Okay, and so uh, Abishai tries to make the killing of Saul appear, look, God's laid it all out for you here. And uh, Satan uses often the providence of God to try to encourage evil. This worked for Saul, by the way. Remember Saul, God had delivered David in my hand. That, God had nothing to do with that. That was uh, Saul's own wickedness. So, by the way, Satan tried this tactic when he tempted Christ, too. In Matthew chapter 4, he tried to make one of the temptations uh, look divinely approved by a quoting Scripture. Satan always perverts Scripture, as well as opportunity to get men to commit evil. You can go on YouTube and find homosexual pastors that uh, try to pervert the Word of God to uh, justify their lifestyle. Uh, it happens all the time today, trying to use respectable sources to justify evil. That's why there's a great need for us to properly understand the Word of God. That's why we make a big deal around here preaching from the Bible, uh, not, not just spouting opinion, but actually opening the Word of God, preaching from the Bible, and discipleship. We make a big deal about discipleship, uh, just, just uh, meet, meeting people throughout the week, uh, every week for discipleship, and just had another last lesson with a couple people last night because that it's a big deal, and we want to, people to understand the Word of God and rightly divide it. If you know Scripture rightly, then you'll have a great advantage in defeating evil, uh, rightly dividing the Word of truth, and David did understand it. So Abishai, let, let me smite him, I pray thee. Abishai uh, volunteers to do the dirty deed. This would free David of actually doing the evil, but God doesn't see things that way. Do you remember at, later, David did not actually kill Uriah, right? The soldiers did. Yet David was charged with that death in 1 Samuel 12, 9, 2 Samuel 12, 9, actually. So, uh, just because Abishai would do the dirty deed doesn't mean David wouldn't be responsible, and David has enough sense to understand that. And then he says, I will not smite him the second time. I'll only smite him one. It's only going to take one blow to take care of the problem. He would not abuse Saul's body like some people did, where they cut them up in pieces and sent them in. Saul did that. Remember, he cut them up and sent it in different parts of the country. He wouldn't abuse the body. Uh, this was maybe an effort by Abishai to make it look a little more charitable. Uh, but temptation often appeals to us by using this just-once argument. How many, how many teenagers have been taken in by just one? Just do it once. Just try it once. Adults, too. But just once is very deceptive. Just once barely ever stops at just once. It always leads to more evil. Because once you do it once, it's easier to do it a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. Every drunk started with one. Every drug addict started with one. And uh, just once is a very dangerous proposition. And really, there's no such thing as just once. That's a lie of the devil anyway. But that's what he said. I'll smite him. I won't smite him the second time. Now, David's refusal to kill Saul contrasts the, that's the difference in the two characters. Uh, it's, it's an amazing difference when you compare and contrast men like this, and it's easy to see why David was a man after God's own heart. Saul was not. No sooner had Abishai made his just-once proposal here 
David quickly answers, destroy him not. This is one of the secrets in defeating temptation. As soon as the temptation uh, hits, strike back. There was no huddle here. David didn't stop and consider. Immediately said, no, no, we're not going to do that. Don't delay in refusing temptations. The longer you delay, uh, the harder it will be to refuse the temptation. He said, the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. David had good convictions in the matter of right and wrong. He knew from God's word that it was wrong to touch the Lord's anointed. And Saul was God's anointed. He wasn't doing right, but he was the one that God put in place. Furthermore, he said, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. You know what David understood that so often we don't? God is perfectly capable of taking care of your problem. He is. We just don't trust Him. And so we take matters in our own hands sometimes. And we often make big old messes out of it. But God can handle your problem. Why is it that we think we have to take matters in our own hands? I think one of the major reasons is impatience. Because we want this to be done now. Isn't it a frustrating thing to be in a hurry and when God is not? <laughs> uh, I find myself there all the time. But when, when we get in a hurry, that's when we make mistakes. Uh, when we get in a hurry for a vehicle, that's when we buy a beetle, right? Amen? And get, get into all kinds of trouble. Uh, he'll do things in his time, and we need to allow it. I want to read you something. The author to this is unknown, but I, I found it interesting. The carpenter I hired to help me restore an old farmhouse had just finished a rough first day on the job. A flat tire made him lose an hour of work, his electric saw quit, and now his ancient pickup truck refused to start. When I drove him home, he sat in stony silence. On arriving, he invited me to meet his family. As we walked toward the front door, he paused briefly at a small tree, touching the tips of the branches with both hands. When opening the door, he underwent an amazing transformation. His tanned face was wreathed in smiles, and he hugged his two small children, and gave his wife a kiss. Afterward, he walked me to the car. We passed the tree, and my curiosity got the better of me. I asked him about what I had seen him do earlier. And this is what he said. Oh, that's my trouble tree. I know I can't help having troubles on the job, but one thing's for sure. Troubles don't belong in the house with my wife and the children. So I just hang them up on this tree every night as I go into the house. Then in the morning, I pick them up again. He paused and said, the funny thing is, though, when I come out in the morning to pick them back up, there ain't nearly as many as I remember hanging up the night before. I think all of us need a trouble tree in our life. But as Christians, our trouble tree ought to be God. Jesus said, casting all your care upon me, on him, for he careth for you. That's what we ought, we ought to just let him shoulder some of that. He can handle those things, and he asks us, to cast our cares on him. He ought to be our trouble tree. As Psalm 27, 5, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. I'm encouraging tonight, let God be your trouble tree. And be like David. That's what David did. He said, look, I could kill Saul right now. He could have killed him. This is the second time in a very short period. And he could have killed him and completely got away with it. Now, in the cave, it might have been a little questionable because 
they were in a cave and the whole army's outside. That might have been a little bit. But here, he's got a what? In fact, I think there's a little bit of a progression of opportunity here. He's got a lot more opportunity here because he could have let Abishai take the one blow and they could have gotten out of there and the deed would have been done. Nobody would have been the wiser. But David didn't do it. He didn't, he did not step over the line to try to solve his own problems. He said, I'll let God take care of it. God is perfectly capable of taking him out. And when the time is right, that's exactly what he'll do. And by the time, by the way, when the time was right, he did do exactly that. David let God be his trouble tree. I hope that you will too. Thank you, Father, for the passage here. I pray that you would help us to apply these things.